up in the UK sometime in the past 50 years, you're bound to have watched BBC Children's programme Newsround at some point. Whether you watched it as a kid or later as a student or adult while waiting for Neighbours to start, it has a special place in many people's hearts and no doubt inspired many children to become budding reporters. At least it did for me, so much so I ended up working there. So I'm happy to be joined today by one of Newsround's longest serving presenters. He was one of the faces of kids news for a decade and now serves as the BBC's entertainment correspondent. And he's also my film quiz teammate. It's Lizo Mazimba. Hey Lizo, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Genevieve? I'm good, thank you. A little hot today in London. I'm sweltering in here. And I can't have a fan on because of the Zoom recording. It'll pick it up, so I'm... <laughs> Just... Oh, the things you do for your art, Jen. I know, I'm so. melting in this room. Um, <laughs> the first thing that that strikes me when I see you, because I've not seen you for a little while, is um, you've grown a beard. Uh, I've grown a slight beard. This is a whole <laughs> lockdown thing. If I have to do anything on camera, it comes off very, very, very quickly. But it's one of those things that I've been clean shaven all my life. So I thought, you know, while you're sitting at home not having to go into work physically and if you're not appearing on camera why do you have to shave every morning so it's it's purely personal curiosity thing of how I look with a beard and I've decided I look utterly ridiculous but I don't mind that but you've decided that it's not for you <laughs> it's not for me but it, a worthwhile experiment that yielded much valuable data <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's head straight into the nostalgia zone So obviously, Newsround started in 1972. Yep. What were your memories of watching the programme with with John Craven when it was as known as, as John Craven's Newsround at the time? It was strange. It was just something that was part of the furniture that you assumed was on and you engaged with. I remember coming home from school and just kind of watching Newsround just to catch up with what was happening in the day. It didn't seem like at the time, I didn't think I'm a really precocious seven-year-old that has a huge interest in news, so I'm going to watch news round. It was just what was on telly and you were interested in it. And that, I think, was the beauty of news round. It didn't aim itself at kids who thought, I want to be really interested in news. It was a programme for everybody. It made the news so accessible that children didn't really give it a second thought whether they want to watch it or not. And that's always been one of its strengths, I think. I mean, specific mm. memories. I, I remember, you know, those big stories. I remember coming home with the explosion of the uh, space shuttle, uh, which would have been, oh, I'm being tested now, 86, I want to say probably around that time. I remember watching that and just being one of those jaw-dropping moments that you see on television and Newsround was the first time that uh, that I saw it. But yes, it was... Um, I think Newsround was actually the first to report on that I think event it, as well, just because of time of day. I think it was. I think it happened just a few minutes before Newsround was going on air. And that was part of the esteem that Newsround was held in and continues to be held in across the you know entire BBC, that it was, no, we don't need to go to a news flash. We will actually, you know, Newsround can deal with this story and explain it in a good way until the six o'clock news comes on uh, later on, mm. which I think, you know, absolutely the, the right thing to do at the time. But um, but yes, it was a wonderful time, you know, just, you know, being a kid, coming home, watching all those things and CBBC and everything. I was always a CBBC rather than a CITV kid. And uh, Newsround was just part of that um, furniture. Uh, you know, at the time, I never particularly, you know, thought or dreamt that, you know, I would be working on that particular program. Um, but yeah, 
great, great memories. And you joined Newsround in 1998. And um, I mean, obviously, Krishnan Murthy came before you. But I mean, in terms of diversity, you were the first black presenter on Newsround. Were you aware of the significance? I mean, obviously, now there's a lot more focus on diversity on screen. But back at that time, there wasn't as much. It wasn't something that particularly struck me at the time. Just thinking, actually, I think Terry Badu was probably, he wasn't never the main presenter, but was, you know, a black face on Newsround before I uh, joined. But yes, this was, again, one of the things about CBBC. I'd grown up with watching Andy Peters being, you know, just one of the main faces of children's television and television so it didn't feel like you were breaking any boundaries or barriers because you know CBBC already had a great reputation for inclusivity and diversity so putting it the other way around it I never kind of thought oh you know would I be able to get onto a program like Newsround because of my colour it was you know it was just never occurred to me even being a an issue either way. So uh, I think that was quite a valuable way of doing it. And um, I freelanced for Newsround a few years, um, well, for about a year before that, uh, and uh, also worked behind the scenes on Blue Peter and being a presenter on another CBBC programme, one of their reporters called Short Change, which was all about consumer rights. And uh, yeah, so Newsround seemed to be the perfect one for me. I was really fascinated by stories that children were interested in but also I'd been a BBC news trainee and was very interested in news and had done a lot of writing for magazines and newspapers then so it seemed to me the perfect balance of my interests going into Newsround and you know I, I worked very hard I was sending them show reels the whole time and you know basically bothering them with oh any vacancies coming up any freelance <laughs> work coming up and um, yeah and then suddenly I was uh, I was there. But were you aware of kind of I guess the significance of of you being a black presenter for for your audience that were watching you again no it's it sounds slightly strange but it never particularly occurred to me in that way now and for a long time in newsround uh, and over the years the number of people that come up to me and um tell me how important it was to them seeing a black face on a program like Newsround. And, you know, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear. But I suppose going back to what I was saying before, it's a bit like the whole Andy, Andy Peters thing. You know, it was great for mm. me seeing somebody like Andy Peters on CBBC, not just as one of the faces, you know, one of the big faces and so obviously talented doing whatever, you know, it was doing CBBC, doing live and kicking, you know, all those shows, you know, obviously a brilliant broadcaster. And so that kind of normalized the whole thing for me. It made me think subconsciously, not even consciously, that, you know, yes, of course I could, you know, get a job with CBBC or in a programme like that and move from Birmingham to London. And it's it's great hearing that people have seen me in the same kind of way and that they grew up watching me on Newsround and have, um, you know, thought, actually, it might never have occurred to me, but I could actually do that. Mm. I, sh- I should have said this at the start, but... We, we go back some time, you and me. Oh, we do. We do go back some time. <laughs> uh, because, because we first uh, met when I joined Newsround, uh, working on the website back in 2003, four, I think I joined. Um, and I remember during my time on Newsround, there were some really big stories that, that we reported, like the, the Boxing Day tsunami, yeah. the July 7th terror attacks, and, and you must have done 9-11, of course. I did, yes. But, but what was it like for you reporting those kind of tragic events, but in a, a way that was suitable for children as, as young as six, I guess, watching Newsround, um, in a way that won't upset them or make them scared? 
the key always seemed to be be absolutely honest with children. It's not for us to sugarcoat the facts. It's not for us to be misleading with the facts. For instance, um, this, I remember covering the 7-7 bombings. And in, in a broad sense, it was being honest about what had happened, what went on, uh, not saying there's no chance this is going to happen again, so don't be scared, not saying things like that. And in fact, two weeks after uh, 7-7, another attempted uh, mm. uh, bombings, one of them just around the corner from us at Television Centre, yeah, where we was, were, yeah. uh, I remember just racing down to Shepherd's Bush uh, Tube Station, where one of it was. But the key thing was to be straightforward with children about what's being done. So we would use phrases like the security services and the police are working as hard as they can to try and make sure something like this can't happen again or that other people who may be involved are caught. So it was very much a case of never break trust with the audience by saying things that aren't true or trying to push things in one particular direction just be honest with them and actually have a you know count on the fact that they have the the insight and the intelligence to hear what you're saying and process it in a, in, in a particular way i'd like to think that we we got it right uh, i certainly hope we did but uh, we would have long conversations about the best phrases to to use in that and and how much detail to go into with what had happened in various tragic events but the basic principle was never lie to the audience and uh, just be as honest with them as you can. The mm. same was when we did uh, covered 9-11, of course, an absolutely terrifyingly shocking story, not just for children, but for for all of us uh, yeah. of, of, of any age. I was... Um, one of the one of the BBC team that went over uh, in the first few days after that, and uh, the BBC actually commissioned a, a special documentary of uh, the children of nine eleven for how children particularly had been affected by uh, what went on, and those same kind of principles, you know, applied. Here was a you know a terrorist attack, the likes of which you know few can ever have even imagined, let alone predicted. But trying yeah. to put it in a way of this terrible, terrible thing has happened. It's affected people in this way. Um, here's what people are trying to do to, you know, try and make the world safe again if you feel that, you know, it has affected you in a particularly bad way looking back. But, uh, you know, that was always one of the big challenges on Newsround, getting the tone absolutely right. Fingers crossed um, we got it right because Newsround was always seen as one of those safe spaces where a parent, you know, would be happy to leave their child sitting watching Newsround knowing they're not yeah. going to, you know, see anything that's inappropriate. Uh, I yeah. was going to say anything that's not disturbing. Actually, that's not true because so much of the news could be disturbing, but they knew that it was presented in a way that their child hopefully could process and deal with without getting particularly kind of upset or if the things that they wanted to, they could talk, you know, with their parents or their teachers or or their friends about afterwards. So it was never a hundred percent. If you watch news round, you will never see anything apart from wonderful, jolly, happy news and laughs. That wasn't the kind of program that isn't the kind of program that news round is, but it's um one of those where you knew there were going to be unpleasant things, but they were put 
in a way that was with the children's best interests at heart, in an honest way, in a way that was full of support. I mean, as you know, from, you know, working on the website at the time, you know, we had all sorts of things of like, if you want to talk about these things further, here are lots of places you can go and, you know, make sure you talk to your parents or your teachers if these kind of things uh, worry you. So, you know, we took our responsibilities uh, of that very, very seriously. But, I mean, I guess with with Kids News... Um, you must have had some some fun as well, and oh, I, some, I, I, <laughs> some th- occasionally, I think once every six months. I was <laughs> <laughs> probably some things that you you could have gotten away with more as kids news than, than grown up news. But what what were some of the best things you reported on? It, it, well, it, in a broad sense, it was just the, uh, the the fun of being able to do things in a way that you would never be able to do on on other news programs. I remember going to a pantomime cow convention in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> And uh, and, uh, dr- and and dressing up, um, I think I was. I think I was the front half of the horse, uh, <laughs> of, of the cow. That was pu- that was purely for filming reasons. Because if I was going to do a piece to camera, talking to the camera before I sort of then trotted off, it was far too much hassle to have me as the back end, then shuffling everything <laughs> kind of through. So I could sort of like say, I'm here in Trafalgar Square, pantomime cow convention. Yo, no, it's not, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then sort of like, you know, well, I'm just going to have a bit of a canter around and pull my pantomime, you know, how course or or cow's head on and then running round Trafalgar Square, which we then cut to slow motion and the um, and the Black Beauty TV theme music running. And um, <laughs> one of those things was um, in those days, we always used to have um, a, a team debrief and you could, with news around the programme short enough in that after the programme, you could all sit down either just after or the following morning and then watch the entire programme through and see what people thought. And the wonderful thing was when you did a story like that and people were watching and the entire office was in absolute stitches of laughter <laughs> watching this piece. Uh, and, but again, one of the great things about Newsround is that the audience had trust in the programme and its people that, that doing something like that would never undermine the credibility of the presenters literally i could be doing a story like that one week the following week i could be reporting from a refugee camp after yeah. a great humanitarian tragedy somewhere or talking about a really dark news story about something that had happened and the audience would never be of that hang on that was the guy that was being a, a pantomime cow last week you know and how can we trust him <laughs> when he's talking about this really serious stuff they could because that was the beauty of the program that people just accepted that we could do things in all those different kinds of ways. So that was always kind of fun. Uh, and obviously, one of the really huge things that you you kind of covered was the whole kind, I guess, evolution and uh, meteoric rise of of Harry Potter. Both Harry the books Potter, and- Harry. Po- um- is that, no, that's not that's 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 not the Middle Earth thing, is it? No, and it's not, oh, uh, oh, you know, uh, oh yes, Harry Harry Potter. How could I forget? Yeah, Harry Potter. <laughs> um, yeah. And so obviously, so you you covered the first film premiere, and then every subsequent film premiere, where you must have just interviewed like Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grin, and Emma Watson, pretty much every year. Yeah, I guess you, you know, just kind of saw them growing up from yeah, kids th- into adults. I th- sick of the sight of me is the phrase you were looking for, isn't it, Jen? <laughs> you know, they oh, well, him again. Oh, that, oh, really? But no, yes, I, I mean, that was such a lucky, lucky thing to be witnessing the growth of a genuine phenomenon, uh, you know, mm. a literary phenomenon. And, uh, you know, it must be like some people that were there at the, you know, when the Beatles began or, you know, which is before my time, I would like to point out. <laughs> but yes, because I covered it from the uh, from the third book, Prisoner of mm. Azkaban, when it was suddenly beginning to 
you know, get a lot of momentum. Blue Peter had already done some stuff beforehand. Mm. And um, it was just wonderful being at the start of something like that. And it was a, a lot of things about it. Children have got very acute radar and antennae for when people are being fake about things. Mm. And it goes back to what I was saying about credibility of presenters. It wasn't just, oh, look at that kind of like bloke being really excited about, you know, Harry Potter just pretending because he's on news round. I think they could genuinely sense, you know, that I really loved the books, loved the stories. Uh, and um, I remember the first time interviewing J.K. Rowling, it would have been, oh, let me get this, December 1999, it would have been when she won the Smartest Prize for the third time. Mm. And Prisoner of Azkaban had come out the previous summer, probably July-ish, I think. And I'd been begging the uh, publishers for months, going, can I get an interview with J.K. Rowling? Please get an interview with J.K. Rowling. And even then, <laughs> she wasn't doing a huge amount, but also because she was, as his doctors documented afterwards, she was uh, in the middle of writing book four, which is probably one of the more difficult ones she had to write time-wise. Uh, but yeah, I eventually got to meet her and, uh, you know, did a quick interview with her. And then I was just literally peppering her with questions about, you know, you say this in book one, but then in book two like that, does that mean we might find out later on? And, then, and, and she's been kind enough to say afterwards, you know, that, you know, she could tell that I was really into the books not just you know one a nerd i think the words you're looking for but even then you know even then she would have been interviewed by a variety of people some of whom would have been you know i'm sent along by my magazine or my newspaper or whatever uh, to do this thing mm. you know children are really into it so they flipped through a couple of chapters and just getting some broad sense of it she could tell that i was one of the people that was actually really really into those stories so it was a real pleasure seeing that grow and nobody could have thought how big it was going to get of course um i, I remember emailing um uh, david Heyman, who's the producer of all the harry potter films um probably a good year and a half maybe in two years before the film came out saying because that was it that very first interview i'd said to jk rowling oh who, you know have the film rights been sold where were we with that she said oh yeah warner brothers have got them a producer called david Heyman, and uh emailing and saying you know obviously we're really interested in um you know that you know if a film is ever made of Harry Potter, we might be interested yeah. in doing a piece on Newsround. You know, we might. You know, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> if it becomes successful, You know, you know we, we, we might, you know, it. but, you know, we're a very important programme. We're on BBC One before Neighbours, don't you know? I mean, really, so, you know, <laughs> your film about boy wizards and girl wizards is going to have to hit a pretty kind of, like, high level for us to consider, you know, maybe including it before, beyond a brief mention. But, um, yeah, and, you know, nobody could have imagined what it was um, going to become. Uh, but then, of course, you had the films as well and we had a wonderful relationship with the kids purely because they mm. were of that news round watching age um particularly yeah. dan emmer and rupert but you know many others and so they already felt a connection with us they they kind of knew who we were and where we were coming from even if they didn't know me from news round when they were interviewing they knew what news round was um all about and we did a couple of short pieces yeah. on when they were looking for kids to play the main parts how they could apply and we were lucky enough that um rupert got that part through there remember yeah rupert grint had seen the the piece on news round looking for 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 auditionees, isn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, sort of like saying, yes, yeah, so, so he'd, he'd, uh, he'd uh, written off to the address and then sent in a, a tape. And um, when the cast were first announced, um, it was all, it was a huge story at the time, you know, this literary phenomenon, the film, and who are the kids going to be playing it? And they'd called a press conference uh, with the three kids. And uh, I'd been trying to get information out of them, but they were so busy about, you know, did any of them get it through news round or anything like that? So when I got my question at the press conference, I you know, said, oh, yeah, could I ask the uh, three actors uh dan emma and rupert um you know 
where they heard about, you know, how they could be get involved in the film or how they, you know, ended up auditioning and being involved. And, and Dan's story was about, um, how he'd actually been spotted at the theatre by David Heyman. Mm. Um, I think that it was a performance of Stones in Their Pockets that he was attending with his father. And, um, and he'd, of course, acted before in, uh, things like David Copperfield alongside Maggie Smith. That was how he got it. Emma, I think, that gone around lots of schools and, you know, auditioned lots of kind of like girls. Mm. And Emma had come through that. And Rupert, he was even at that age. He knew he knew what he was doing. He sort of like <laughs> he, he sort of he sort of looked at me and then gave me this kind of like huge grin and said, "Well, I was watching News Round and they told me how I could audition and like you know." And I was there inside going, "Yes, yes, yes!" <laughs> kind of like we got one, we got one. My work here is done. One percent earnings in perpetuity. No, no, not that bit. <laughs> so, so that was uh, you know, so that was kind of great that actually through you know News Round. Uh, you know, somebody like that, you know, had got that part, you know, which obviously has transformed, uh, you know, you know, his life. And, um, it wasn't just him. People like Chris Rankin, who played Percy, had seen the piece and had written in saying, um, you know, I know you're looking for the three kids, but, you know, if you're looking for somebody to play Percy, I'd love to audition. That's how he got the part. And then, um, mm-hmm. something which I, you, I thought you will have to have equal culpability on. Genevieve when a co- at the same time we also had uh, news around message boards where people talked about all sorts of bits and pieces and uh, oh, yes. where, and Harry Potter of course is one of those things but with the message boards there was a, a, a wonderful slash terrible moment when uh, somebody oh some kid is on the message board pretending to be Rupert Grint and it's like you know Child protection is so, so important at, um, at this kind of like, you know, you've got to have people thinking they're talking to somebody who isn't. And we had very rigorous procedures on the news around message boards. Mm. And I think it was kind of like, sorry, we have to ban him and email him and say, sorry, you can't pretend to be somebody you're not, you know, especially somebody as famous as Rupert Grint. Um, so banned him from the message boards. And, um, I spoke to his father a few weeks later. They said, yeah, Rupert got banned from the message boards. He was kind of like, like <laughs> oh no. <laughs> We've actually managed to ban the genuine Rupert Grint. We we had him on our message boards, and like not only not only did we have him, we said, "I'm sorry, you're not welcome here, mate," and chucked him out. It was like um, so again, again, not one of uh, sorry, Rupert, <laughs> not one of um, our best uh, moments. But in our defence, it was taking our child protection very very seriously, and I, I think at that point it was very difficult for us to verify it was actually him, and there was a healthy dose of cynicism alongside that as well. So. Um, uh, <laughs> As they say nowadays, um, our bad. Oops. So you, you presented Newsround for, for a decade. So obviously there's going to be so much affection for you as people grew up with you in, in their living rooms every day. And and I remember when, when I joined Newsround at, at 23, I was a little bit starstruck meeting you. But then I remember then <laughs> when I was 33. You, you kept that hidden. Seriously, you really did. <laughs> you know, beneath kind of like looks of contempt and like, you know, sort of like, you know, tossing your head away when I made a suggestion in the morning meeting of like, have you ever heard anything more ridiculous? Keeping it cool. Oh, Keeping it cool. I see music. you just went so far um, the other but... way. Okay. That makes up. But, but, but then at, at, at thirty three at my wedding, one of my I remember one of my uni friends was starstruck you were there and then even tweeted that you were at the wedding saying like, oh, I'm at a friend's <laughs> wedding and Lizo from Newsround's there. They, they were just so excited about it. It is. It's really wonderful actually having that kind of affection. And of course, it's not, it's not just for me, it's for the programme and what it represented. And one of those things that I always try and make sure I talk about is that 
Newsround worked because of the team behind it, you know, you and so many other people. It wasn't just a case of me sitting in a morning meeting, coming up with an idea and then just kind of like putting it on air later on. There's a massive team of incredibly talented people involved from Mm. researchers to assistant producers to producers to graphics people to the camera people we work with. Uh, A shout out to Tony Dolce, one of our BBC camera operators who I did. He did. He shot my very, very first piece on Newsround. And I think we've been almost to every continent in the world together and still work together on BBC News now. And it's just great having people like that along. But um, it was an absolute team effort. And I was just the the idiot that got to kind of jump around in front of the camera, you know, so going, hey, Harry Potter or hey, I'm a pantomime cow or all that kind of thing. (laughs) And um, I think people always remembered me as um, being the person that would do the slightly odd story or the and finally that needed a bit of quirky personality or as uh, one of our producers Simon Goretzky used to say a huge amount of cheese poured into it like that uh, <laughs> and, and there would be kind of thing of like oh that would make a really and finally it, the presenter would need to make a bit of a fool of themselves then there'd be this silence and then everyone would just look at me in the morning meeting <laughs> and it would like oh fine absolutely fine right there I see where this is going but yes yeah, so, so it's always wonderful hearing from people that have those wonderful memories of news round I think I can't think of many other programs on the BBC I've never had a single bad mention of like somebody going all oh, news round oh I didn't like that it was, it was kind of, oh news round that's absolutely kind of mm. wonderful people really appreciated what it did and what it represented and it's it's so great me- over the years meeting just people who you know will literally come up to you in the street and say oh, I just want to say I loved you on um on news round that's always wonderful you do get the the other side of it all you know I left news round in 2008 and of course, lots of parents or teachers and people have, um, you know, grown up watching it. And of course, when we were on, it wasn't just people of school children age. It was people at university. We had a huge university student audience and just kind mm. of people of all ages. But, you know, and this happened to me a few months ago. Somebody stopped me on a bus and they were with their two kids. And I was like, oh, you know, and they were the kids and going, oh, look who it is. Look who it is. It, it's him. It's him. And the kid's looking at me thinking, I have absolutely no idea who this man that my mother's making me look at <laughs> on the bus is. And me doing some swift mental arithmetic thing, those kids, they probably look seven or eight. So basically, I left news round three or four years before, before, they, were before they were even born. Uh, and go, go and get a selfie with him. Go and get a selfie with him. And the kid's going, oh, oh yeah, okay. Could I get a selfie? With, who is this? <laughs> it's really kind of amusing sometimes when you get that kind of, um, like, oh, wow, look. Look, look who it is it's sort of like and the kids are like I have no idea what is going on why are they making me look at this strange man like that in, in this kind of way but um but wherever you go it, it, it's great and also it's been really good and lucky then that you know people of a certain age who become famous in their own fields you know remember you from from news round uh and um so it really helps with those kind of celebrities as well because you know they've got a bit of a connection to you you know they kind of feel they've kind of grown up with you a bit so it's um it's you know it's re- really gratifying hold that thought well, i'm going to come to i can't that. hold a thought i can't <laughs> hold a thought <laughs> I have to write it down, otherwise it's gone forever. Don't worry, I'll, prom- I'll prompt uh, you when so, I say so it. Already gone, already gone. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Was it football? <laughs> okay, let's now move away from the nostalgia zone and move into the latid zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Uh-huh. So as we said, you presented on Newsround for a decade. Um, why did you decide it was time to leave after 10 years? Well, 10 years seemed a, 
a good length of time. You know, there were various reasons. I'd always been very bad at planning ahead about what I wanted to do next. And it was a combination of things. I'd been thinking about it for a while because it seemed that even though you had a good connection with the audience, you get to the point where it seems slightly ridiculous having a man in his 40s jumping around the screen, getting very excited about Pokemon or something like that. And, um, <laughs> you know, no matter what your connection with the audience is, the, the, there becomes a point where it becomes, at least for me, slightly untenable. I mean, you know, that said, you can continue doing stuff that kids are interested in for decades. I mean, two years ago, mm. I think the most watched program by young people was... Um, uh, one of the David Attenborough series, you know, hosted by a man in his 90s. So, you know, a, a man in his mm. 90s, because he still has that in, incredible enthusiasm and an expertise and like, you know, he's David Attenborough, <laughs> you know, like that, yeah. you know, doesn't mean that, oh, just because of their age, children or other people aren't going to be able to connect or engage with them. But I'm no David Attenborough, sadly. And uh, so it was uh, a thought of, you know, uh, you know, I should be vaguely looking at other things I might want to do. And one of the producers had actually pointed out to me, um, said, oh, have you seen this advert? They're looking for an entertainment correspondent for main BBC News. And uh, I hadn't at that point. Uh, in retrospect, it could have been the producer thinking, finally, we've got a chance to offload him on somebody else. But um, I shall give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt on that and assume that they were looking after my best interests primarily and that the best interests of the audience in the programme might just have been, you know, secondary, you know, positive things. Uh, and, um, and and that was that was the things I've been so enthusiastic about. The news round, we got to do all sorts of bits and pieces from hard mm. news to soft news to sport to entertainment and showbiz uh and you know it was entertainment showbiz was the stuff that you know i was always most enthusiastic about because you know, that's always been me i was the kid who grew up watching star wars and all those things and being obsessed with so many different bits of telly and being obsessed with film and mm. and i used to read all the novelizations by people like alan dean foster that came out of uh, film stuff or buying doctor who novelizations and uh because of course way back in those days once a Doctor Who had been on. There was no, you know, VHS video releases or repeats or anything. So that was it. You wanted to relive it in your own mind. You had to, um, you know, buy the book, and um, and so that had always been, you know, me, somebody that was, you know, f you know, for life, really enthusiastic and slightly obsessed with film and TV in particular. So I thought mm. it would be, um, you know, a a good fit. And by that time, I'd already done a few reports for people like the main six o'clock news and breakfast news on particular showbiz orientated um, stories. And occasionally not sometimes on, you know, just hard stories that I'd gone to uh, where they didn't have to have somebody in the 10 o'clock news to be, Oh, um, it might even be in the nine o'clock news. Then actually it might've been, Oh, Lizzo could do that. Um, so uh, it seemed like a good time to, to cross over and do something else. And it was one of the few jobs that had come up that I thought, actually, you know what, I think I could do that. So it was, um, you know, it's been, what, 12 years now? I was going to say, because you, like you, I, I left news around first and then I moved to grown-up news on the entertainment <laughs> desk and then it's like you followed me. Yeah, I thought you might bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to say it's absolute coincidence. Um, it was just one of those things and uh, I'm, and I'm glad you didn't, you know, you weren't there going, oh, heavens, do not hire this man under any circumstances. <laughs> I cannot tell you the horror stories from Newsround. But, uh, but no, um, but yes, no, you, you were there and it was good having familiar faces uh, uh, around uh, on that and it was great being able to do, you know, the same kind of stories that I was, um, I'm, 
doing our news round, one of the first stories I did, having kind of like come over, was um, it was a wonderful episode of Doctor Who where David Tennant, who of course was such a huge name and still is, of course, uh, but Doctor Who was so massive at uh, at that point, and at the end of the episode, the Stolen Earth, he um, gets spoiler alert, he gets uh, hit by a Dalek and. Um, starts regenerating in the TARDIS and then it kind of goes on the cliffhanger to him regenerating and everyone's like it was like who shot JR what's going to happen you know is there going to be a new doctor or, or you know how are they going to get out of this cliffhanger and oh my gosh it's all so huge and um one of the first stories I did was uh, doing you know that story about uh you know final episode of Doctor Who on this Saturday having left on this kind of enormous cliffhanger talking to uh the writer of the episode and showrunner Russell T Davies and sort of bits and pieces and just exploring that so it was so it was great being able to go from doing the same kind of stories, albeit in a slightly different way. It made the crossover feel, you know, feel all right. And, you know, obviously still kept on doing Harry Potter stories. By that time, I thought by the time I'd gone to the, you know, become entertainment correspondent, you know, Star Wars was a long distant memory. George Lucas wasn't making it anymore. And then suddenly... Disney have bought uh, Lucasfilm. They're making more Star Wars films. It was like, basically, I'm doing the same job I have been for the past 15 years. It's like, Star Wars, here we go again. Like that. And, um, you know, very, very lucky to, um, you know, to get to do all that kind of stuff. But obviously doing lots of other stories in different kinds of ways. But um, it's been a very long-winded answer to your question. But, yeah, you know, th- that was the reason I wanted to go over. I felt it was a job. But, you know, I, I, news round, I thought that, you know, I'd done my stint and it was time for somebody else to take over. And um, I thought that this was one of the jobs that really appealed to me and I thought I could do it well. Mm. I mean, entertainment news was... That, that was always my dream job. Um, but but then now I kind of think about it, actually, you, you've got a pretty sweet gig <laughs> as well. Because, I'm very, I'm... because, I mean, as an entertainment correspondent, you get to swan off to the Oscars and do red carpets and I mean I kind of did my fair share of that as well but I feel like you got it slightly <laughs> I feel I feel like I yes. had to spend a lot of time writing it all up afterwards <laughs> yeah when I'm when I'm sitting there with colleagues and it's absolutely pouring rain and you're soaked to the skin on a red carpet we've been waiting two hours to grab you know 90 seconds with a celebrity and they're thinking best job in the world but no seriously <laughs> uh, seriously you know it is I, I always see it in terms of the fact that you get to meet really talented people and I don't necessarily mean by talented famous lots of them are famous but a lot of it are just incredible craft people who are fantastically talented Mm. uh, behind the camera or have made incredible impacts on the industry and you get to actually talk to those kind of people about what they're doing and um, uh, it's it's just a wonderful wonderful um, insight into into those kind of lives of creativity and so yes you get to report on those things for people and I think it's a mistake that people sometimes think that just doing entertainment stuff is just oh it's just fluffy easy showbiz nonsense I mean it's uh a range of things. It's not just sitting there saying to anybody, tell me why you love making this movie or whatever. There are so many stories that come out and themes come out of the entertainment world. Mm. I mean, of course, you know, one of the most, you know, recent and most disturbing is Harvey Weinstein. And yeah. look at the effect that um, that has had on society in general and continues to have and this is a story about a uh, a a hollywood producer obviously far more than an entertainment showbiz story from the very start but still you know that's the world he operated in and um it's often about picking out themes when we look at award ceremonies these days award ceremonies are being judged for their credibility as much on the quality of 
what's won, but also how much the quality of the winners is reflecting, you know, outstanding performances from across society, not just from um, cross sections. Mm. So it's a mistake just to think of entertainment and showbiz as, as light, fluffy nonsense. Um, it's far, far more than that. Arts and entertainment is a is a way that so many people access their view of the world, adjust their view of the world. And um, it's a mistake just to relegate it as being something that doesn't matter that much yeah. because it really, really does. That's always been my belief anyway. But lockdown must have must kind of been hard, as you know, as an entertainment correspondent, because obviously all, all films shut down, TV production shut down, music's stopped, everything's been put on hold. And, and you know, as you say, a lot of entertainment news, especially on TV, has been kept for the 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 light relief at the end of news bulletins. So how how has that kind of like affected what you've been? Doing? A lot of Zoom interviews, a lot of Zoom <laughs> interviews, uh, obviously, because st- some stuff has still kept going out. Cinema's been, you know, the most badly affected, but. Um, there's also all sorts of you know themes to bring out because um of course lockdown has had all sorts of you know effects on people in different ways and um one of the ways that people you know escapism is through um film through tv through music so in a sense those things have had a, an even greater role to play um through lockdown and um and also looking at the effects of what it's had on various series i did a piece about um the effect of lockdown on high-end TV production and what's happening with films and stuff. Um, I've always been slightly lucky in my life that I'd accidentally come across incredibly talented people um, <laughs> just through um, just through just kind of sheer luck. Uh, one of the people I was at university with was uh, a chap called Jed Mercurio. He, he created Line of Duty. He created Line of Duty, which, uh, as we're recording this, Series 1 is going to be on BBC One for the first time this evening. Obviously, it will have gone on BBC One by the time you hear this due to the <laughs> magic of time, travel recording and putting things out later. But, yeah, so, and, uh, you know, I knew Jed at uh, university, an incredibly talented um, guy and became a very talented doctor, but um, has gone down the writing route and does that very well. So I was able to just talk to him about how Line of Duty had been affected. And, of course, with both with his... He was a, he's a producer on the program. He is, uh, you know, the creator of the program. Uh, but of course, he's also a doctor. So in the whole lockdown, COVID-19 things, he was much more acutely aware of all these things. And mm. I think they shut down line of duty, um, as far as I'm aware, quite a bit of time before government restrictions said they had to shut down because yeah. you know he could bring in that expertise and that i'm just saying actually no we can't jeopardize our cast and crew because i think you know even though it will lose us huge amounts of money you know we have to shut down the production and i think there were there were just a few weeks in halfway through their first filming block of episodes one and two and of course in terms of um film and theater and all those kind of things lockdown has had an incredible effect on so many people that work in those areas and um you know that the, the theatre theater has particularly been sort of like hugely hugely hit uh by covid and we just don't know what the impact of that is going to be absolutely um uh long term we know it's going to be bad but we don't know how long it's going to be bad for and how much of it is reversible or what's going to be lost forever mm. going back to the nostalgia and affection people have for you um you have the benefit of of being on 
the red carpet, I remember think things like when you're reporting on the Brits and and the stars recognise you <laughs> as Lizzo off the telly <laughs> from Newsround because they watched you <laughs> growing up too. Surely, you know that that's yeah. that's a, a undisputable perk of your previous life in your current job. It is. We're very lucky like that because um, you know, as I said, Newsround was a team effort, but I was the kind of the the person in front of the camera who lots of people will remember, and also just because of my physical appearance, I'm a bit more kind of memorable. Oh yeah the guy with the short hair and the glasses that was always jumping up and down getting really overexcited about stuff uh so yeah but, you the know. guy who was in the pantomime cow <laughs> yeah yeah I, I haven't had that one i guess i might start getting it a bit more soon but it's um it's it's very lucky like that in that again people feel at least a bit of a connection to you you know it will very very rarely get you an exclusive interview or something like that but it's a it's an in so people um know you and i've been sort of like i've been lucky enough to at least get you know that recognition from you know you know some quite famous people i mean people like ed sheeran's been kind enough to say how he remembers watching me grow up on news round uh you know other people in- ha- but hang on a minute i just i'll just raise this because ed sheeran he's he, he's a musician genevieve um <laughs> i'll just google him most people know him i'm surprised that you seem to have blanked out on that but but what most, most people probably don't know is that you recorded ed sheeran's outgoing voicemail message <laughs> I did at one point. A lot of people do know that because actually it was, it was, it was all done on Radio 1. <laughs> it was, um... <laughs> or anyone that rang Ed Sheeran would, would have heard it, it, you. But, but for anyone that didn't ring Ed Sheeran. <laughs> it, was, it, was a very, uh, it was a very surprising thing. I was, uh, I was asleep one morning uh, on a Saturday. I'd been working late the night before, I think. And my phone had exploded with all these messages going, Ed Sheeran was just picking you up on Radio 1. Because he'd, he'd just been kind of commenting about how he'd sometimes seen me on red carpets. And um, um, just kind of like, you know, how he remembered watching me on News Round. What a great programme round was despite me and um <laughs> and uh and so uh the uh radio one you know arranged to do um a thing so um he did me a voicemail message for my phone and uh i did a voicemail message uh for his so sorry you've got through to ed sheeran's phone he's uh far too busy and uh talented to take your call right now and uh, <laughs> whatever I, I can't remember what i said but it was really nice and um you know ed's always been such a you know I, I, when you see him occasionally on red carpets or in interviews and stuff, you know he's always so warm about news round and everything and just always just really you know just such a nice person to interview and uh it's You've got somebody who has, you know, turned the music industry upside down just through sheer hard work and talent. And um, the fact that they even know who you are is like, you know, is going to give you a bit of a buzz. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you know, lucky of all sorts of people in that kind of thing will remember you from uh, from Newsround or will sort of like, you know, or you, you like the thing of, oh, are you the guy from Newsround? Oh, I thought I recognised the name. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do something kind of for you like that. So you know, very, very, very lucky. As I say, it doesn't get you the big exclusive interviews, uh, you know, but um, it gets you, you know, enough of a of an in that you can have a bit more of a relaxed conversation with somebody in an interview yeah. and, and have a bit more sort of like, you know, fun like that. And, you know, people are always so nice about it. And it's, as I say, it's it's less about me. It's more about actually what Newsround as a program meant to people of that age, and and that was all due to the team of what it did and what it continues to do. And you know, I'll be very very kind of like you know, Touchwood, very lucky that um, people have always thought of it in such a wonderful positive way. Mm. And continuing on the theme of red carpets, you've you've covered the Oscars a couple of times. Give me your best Oscar story. Oh, my best Oscar story. There was a nice one actually after, um, I can't remember what year it was, whichever year that, um, Sam Smith won for Spectre. 
we were at the Vanity Fair red carpet and obviously he'd won his Oscar, him and his producer, uh, Jimmy. And um, they were walking on the far side, right away from the press and um, obviously weren't doing any interviews whatsoever. And of course, we were live on Breakfast News and, you know, Sam Smith's won an Oscar for a Bond movie. You know, we want to talk to him like that. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, everyone's shouting out, you know, sort of like, Sam, Sam, sort of like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy you know, like that. And, um, and then sort of like his producer, you know, sort of had to kind of look over and sort of like saw me and then sort of actually sort of tapped Sam on the on the shoulder, looked over, put put almost you could see him mouth in that point again, there's Lisa off news round like that. And they sort of like sort of looked at each other and then sort of like then they just came straight over and did an interview. And it was like, wow, news round has got a Sam Smith live on Breakfast News after he's won his first Oscar, you know. The program has served me well on this occasion. So um, moments like that are always, always, always wonderful. Because of course when you go over to the Oscars, you know you, even on red carpets and things in this country, you know, you're from the BBC or like that, that cuts a bit more sway. For the Oscars, it's like from the BBC, yeah, we've got, you know, dozens and dozens of different organisations, you know, the big American networks, their priority for everything. So you don't expect to get particularly mm. advantageous treatment over there uh, for that kind of thing. So that was, um, that, that, that was a, a wonderful memory. Other Oscar, other Oscar memories, I'm trying to think, it was just, it was, um, it was just wonderful seeing a film like 12 Years a Slave win, uh, you know, such a talented cast and crew everyone from Steve McQueen uh, through to Chiwetel Ejiofor and everybody that, you know, worked on the movie. Uh, so it was just a great moment seeing, you know, that film actually triumph and seen, mm. of course, by lots of people. It's a great symbolic <laughs> moment seeing that movie do particularly uh, well at uh, the Oscars. But, yeah, just um, I remember being very tired a lot of the time because um, by the time you got to the end, you'd been up for about 36 hours. Uh, just doing all the bits and pieces that you um, needed to. Um, but, you know, you're part of the um, biggest showbiz event in the world. So you kind of kept going. Yeah, just running yeah, on adrenaline absolutely. by hour 36. You, know, you, keep, you keep going on uh, on, on adrenaline and it's uh, it's such it's always such an interesting um, story to, to do. Sadly, I wasn't there for Envelope Gate. Um, I'm not saying I could have prevented it, obviously. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would uh, that would just make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> no, um, uh, it was uh, you know that, uh, you know I, I remember watching that at home, and that's you know those are the kind of you know the genuine jaw dropping moments of, um, yeah. of that kind of thing. Obviously, you've been a, a face on TV for quite a while, and and so then this this has has made you a celebrity. I don't, I, 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 you know, I, I genuinely would not call myself a celebrity. I think for a certain age group of people. They will have known me from Newsround in particular or the job I'm doing now to a lesser extent. But I think at my, at my peak Newsroundness, I would say I was probably a, a C-list celebrity at, at, at most. You know, it's, you know, it's not, oh my gosh, I, I can't go on the train, on the tube or on the bus without being all mobbed by kind of like, you know, people. It's like, no, no, it's, um, you know, a lot of people know who you were if they were of a certain age. And, you know, that's always nice. You're a celebrity enough <laughs> to have been on Celebrity Mastermind. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. You know, I, you know, it's a long time from the start. So how far they're going down the celebrity line takes a while, obviously, you know. <laughs> but, um, but yes, no, I did. Uh, I did Celebrity Mastermind. That was really good fun. Yes, I really enjoyed that, actually. And you've done uh, a couple of episodes of Pointless Celebrities as well. Yeah. So again, you still... you still Never got a pointless celebrity. answer. Never got a pointless answer. I think oh. my best answer was three, I think. 
but uh, which isn't which is which isn't bad, but it's not it's not pointless. You, you need but to just make a, a return visit, I think, and have I've Stephen been on Fry. Three time, I've been on three <laughs> times. I think it's uh, you know facility pointless. It's like I've done, you know I've had my go. I got on. I didn't embarrass myself. I answered some questions intelligently. Didn't get any hundred answers. You know, in terms of getting it wrong. <laughs> but um, but so celebrity mastermind was interesting. They sort of asked me to do it, and they ask you what your specialist subject um, would like to be. Uh, what you would like your specialist subjects to be, I should say. And um, I, I remember thinking, oh, people expect me to do, you know, oh, Star Wars or Doctor Who or or Harry Potter. And actually, I thought I wanted to do, do something that might surprise people a, a little. And uh, I, I've long been a fan of um, John le Carre and his writing. And um, I said, oh, can I do the George Smiley books of uh, John le Carre? And they were like, yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I, I, I did that, which was a wonderful excuse to uh, reread all those um, books. And mm. uh, yeah, it was, um, I got to be grilled by John Humphreys in the, in the black chair. And it's, it's actually quite intimidating, uh, as you can imagine, that kind of thing. But um, it was, uh, it was a fun program to do. And it was just nice to, you know, just to show that, you know, you're not just somebody who has a, a narrow range of knowledge yeah. on, on particular things, but um, but other things that uh, you might not particularly um, expect. So so yes, I I did get one question wrong uh, in my specialty subject, and you've been kicking yourself ever since. I have. I knew the I knew the answer. <laughs> I, I just said the wrong thing. You know, it's, it's it's the pressure of you know cameras. I'm not used to being on TV, Genevieve. You know, <laughs> you know, how was I supposed to know what it would be like having somebody pointing a camera at you, knowing it was going to be broadcast to to millions? You know, I'm not used to that kind of thing at all. <laughs> But well, really, good, um, really good experience, really good experience. What other celebrity shows have you been asked to do that you've turned down and which would you like to do? Uh, I was asked to do Celebrity MasterChef and uh, I turned that down. Um, uh, because? You know what, it was, I, you know, I... Can't cook. No, I can, I can cook. I can cook. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things where unless I can think, then I can do something particularly well. I don't want to particularly sort of, you know, expose myself to that. So your overriding feeling with so many of those things is that um, you don't want to go on TV and make a fool of yourself, you know, especially because, you know, you know, you're kind of protected in your day job. It's your specialist subject. You know what you're doing. You're setting the agenda uh, a lot of the time. But, you know, it's it's human. You don't want to go off and and something can make a fool of yourself. So, you know, whenever doing any of those things like Celebrity Pointless or Mastermind or anything, the things that the fact that you could go on and actually, you know, give answers and they were the right answers. Mm. Uh, I did uh, Christmas University Challenge, um, not this last Christmas gone. But the Christmas before that, and uh, got three starter questions right, and one wrong. But we got three got three starter questions right, and um, not all of them were showbiz. What were they? One was a um, one was a, I didn't one was a Aretha Franklin, so that's showbiz. But um, one was a question about musical about about um, ballet, I should say. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, that's going to haunt me. I shall I shall come back to that when I remember. I should be able to remember what that was. Uh, what on earth was that? Oh, my memory's going. But yes, yeah, so um so yeah, do that. Um turn down some other stuff. There was um there was a programme one off special they did called Strictly African Dancing, which I just didn't fancy the sound of for me particularly. And I you know, the same with Strictly Come Dancing. I I've never been asked, uh, but I just you know, I don't have the confidence in myself to 
you know, to be able to go on television and dance. And I, I also don't think I'm particularly famous enough to be asked to do Strictly Come Dancing before. <laughs> but I would say that at, at, um, at my wedding, you did participate in the Michael Jackson dance-off. <laughs> did that I? That happened. Did and I? you were do, very does, good. Does any footage <laughs> exist of this, Genevieve? Because, like, you know, if, if you can't produce the documentary evidence, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just kind of like, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I've got I, a still yeah, photo. Yeah, was, that, 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 that was really good fun, just dancing. <laughs> away all evening you know that, that's what it's all about but um oh i remembered what it was um yes it was it was a sport question sport yes um i uh correctly identified um in a pit in the pitch round lizzie yarnold so that's not bad so kind of a showbiz question a sort of a ballet arts question and a sports question that's 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 not bad i was i was, I was pleased with myself yeah that, that's respectable you know, that kind of like feeling where, you know, you kind of like press the button and they go, Birmingham Mazimba, and then you have to say the answer. And it's really <laughs> kind of stressful because they do that kind of crash zoom in on you. And it's like, I'm about to make a fool of myself in front of the entire audience, not just in the studio, but sitting at home as uh, as well. And as uh, Chris Addison, who was our team captain, pointed out to you, it's like an automatic response. When you do that and get a question right, you take a sip of water. It's like an automatic <laughs> thing of like, you know, sort of like, you know, like uh, Mazimba, Birmingham, uh, Aretha Franklin. That is correct. And you know, everyone claps and while they're clapping, you go, slip of water. It's like, it's, you can't help yourself. It's like an absolute unstoppable reflex. It was, um, <laughs> so, um, you know, if you ever watch that back, you'll see, not just me, everybody has to do that. Everybody has to do that. <laughs> so which, which, uh, which celebrity shows would you like to do? You know, I'm not a bit, you know, the, the, I think I've done the ones I would kind of like to be. Uh, it's the ones where you can use general, where you can use general knowledge or a skill, particularly not just something for the for the sake of it. So again, I'm not. Fu- oh, tipping point, Lizo. We need to start a campaign to get you on tipping no, point. <laughs> I couldn't see myself on tipping point. You know, I, is there, a, there is a celebrity version of the chase, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, yes, you know that would be good, or some, or, you know, or something like QI. But again, I don't think I'm genuinely famous enough to do those kind of things, unless it's a particularly kind of themed thing, like we're doing a CBBC, you know, sort of like you know, alumni one like that. Mm. You know, I think you know, I genuinely think there's there's a lot of people who think, oh yeah, that's a guy from Newsround, and a lot of people are like, I have no idea who this bloke is. I've never seen him once before in my life literally I'd never clapped eyes on him and they called him a celebrity <laughs> like that but um but yeah so and and you know, and to be honest I, uh, it's you know I was never one of those people that wanted to you know be on television to be become a celebrity I you know I do the did the news round job and the other jobs because I you know I just really enjoyed that aspect of it and um you know I'm kind of I'm comfortable with a very you know minor amount of celebrity that I that I have, I, I've never been one of those people that just wants to be, you know, terribly kind of like, you know, famous and invited to every sort of red carpet or glitzy party or whatever. You know, that's just, um, that's, uh, that's not me. It's not me. Mm. Well, Lisa, I could speak to you all day, but before our time is up, I'm going to finish off with two things, two of our favourite things, Newsround and Star Wars. Oh, Newsround and Star Wars. Okay, yeah. At uh, uh, one of the things that we used to like doing on the Newsround website was creating a quiz. And I found a, uh, a quiz that is currently on the Newsround website entitled, Which Star Wars Character Are You? Which I thought we'll, we'll play. Oh, okay. The intro to this says, uh, have you ever wondered who you'd be if you were in the Star Wars universe? Well, now's your chance to find out for sure. So there's six questions. Don't overthink them. Just give me your first reaction. Okay. Question one. Pick a colour. Orange, green, red or blue? Blue. 
How strongly do you feel the force? Not at all. Quite a bit. The force is strong. Quite a bit. You've been given a mission, but it seems quite hard. What do you do? Persuade someone to help you, research the answer, or keep trying till you figure it out? No, I research the answer. I'm a, I'm a researching nerd. <laughs> if you have a project you need to work on, do you prefer to work in a group or alone? Depends on the project. Uh, a, a group. A group. What makes you a great warrior? And that is a warrior with an A, not a warrior with an O. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Being smarter than the enemy, being really likeable, being good with a lightsaber, being adventurous or being cool under pressure. I think being smarter than the enemy, everything else can go from that. And finally, what's your best friend like? Cool, clever, fun or tough? Clever. You're General Leia. I, oh. You're smart and brave, just like Leia. She went from princess to rebel to general because of her brains and determination. Just like her, you always try to do what you believe is right and your friends love you for it. Oh, I, I will live with that. I was um, worried I was going to be Jar Jar Binks, but not the sort of thing wrong with Jar Jar Binks, but, you know, it's... You know. I got Kylo Ren when I did it. So. <laughs> you know, Jen, I'd like to say that surprised me. I really would, but frankly, everyone saw that coming. Everyone saw that coming. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just one step away from making that mask and stalking around scaring everybody, aren't you? Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. It's no, thank you for asking me. It's been brilliant to have you on the show and reminisce about Newsround. And uh, I, I guess I'll see you at the next film quiz. Absolutely. See you soon, Genevieve. again to Lizo for joining me today and of course you can catch him minus his beard on BBC News as ever I hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch Up if you did please share it with someone who you think may also enjoy it and why not leave a rating or review if you'd like to say hello or suggest future guests you can find me on Instagram at Celebrity Catch Up Podcast or on Twitter at Celeb Catch Up Pod and if you'd like to support the show please buy me a coffee you can find out more in the show notes until next time thanks for listening bye